ladies and gentlemen welcome back to i think this is if not the actual episode it's very close to our 170th episode of the overlap two weeks on from our last episode of uh of the summer where we basically took like a mini hiatus because there wasn't much to talk about before the either the tournament started or rian just didn't want to talk to me i don't know it's one or the other um or both but here we are we're talking a couple weeks later um we are oh my god we're i guess three weeks away from the start of the season two weeks or three weeks something like that in uh, europe oh less than two weeks now right less than two um, weeks, it's, yeah. it's the 24th it's not next weekend but the weekend after that so yeah that's crazy cool. yeah i will i will be in europe uh for the beginning of some of these leagues and i'm trying and working on if there's an opportunity for me to go um to any of these games um but that's a work in progress so that's what i'm working on um god what has happened the last like two weeks like i feel rian i feel like there's a lot that's happened i feel like there's i don't know you've had the women's euros you've had chelsea becoming a reoccurring burnley in preseason you've had there are a couple <laughs> storylines not not reoccurring that's not that doesn't even make sense but just becoming <laughs> burnley um that's how i phrase it yeah um, no? give me narratives I, what is going on the last two weeks basically no, no, that's like, it's probably still the same thing as uh, a couple of weeks ago where it was like still in the midst of trying to furnish this new apartment and that's just taking up a lot of time and and uh and effort in looking for stuff but it's all like uh, i'm trying to be patient with it as much as i can but uh then also just like gonna be heading to a wedding this week and so i had to do a bunch of, sh- of like shirt shopping over the weekend let's, let's too, be more so. specific than just shirt shopping it was uh it was tie shopping right it wasn't just no no it was, unless it was, you actually went for the whole thing no no specifically it was shirts I bought oh okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then mind. the tie was just the tie thing was just uh an added an added thing but i didn't need i did need the tie as well but hey, in any case yes yes i ended up being in Times Square accidentally and <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty tough <laughs> accidentally yeah yeah <laughs> accidentally in Times Square yeah and, yeah of course yeah no not actively going there to shop that you would never of course no 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 <laughs> <laughs> I really would never no yeah. I know I know but, but the funny part is like there are so many places in like I don't know you have the Soho's and West Villages of the world um unless you don't want to spend that kind of money which no, no one really yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which like that's a once in a while kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah that's fair if you i would say like if you had like three weddings coming up fair yeah but th- i feel like this is like a one time for now for now for now like yeah time, yeah it day. really is for now because the next two years are probably going to be probably gonna uh, be next a little lot gap. of that for us <laughs> like realistically. yeah yeah uh yeah don't remind me um <laughs> and moving on <laughs> to other things um where are you in the apartment like furnishing process because i i know you've added at least one piece of furniture right in the last like three weeks um i'm close to getting the couch uh i okay. i've i've I thought you added out... a like a um tv stand no no i i i'm planning on like mounting mine but it's, oh that's what it was but yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't want to do it before as i said in the last episode i don't want to be a maniac and and have my have my tv mounted um and not have the couch and be like standing there or something <laughs> yeah yeah of course um no i i never pegged you for a sociopath you know but you never know people change anyway um gosh in in the midst of like the heat of new york right now yeah and uh, like that that's you... been the real thing yeah that's been the, the real thing that's like that's <laughs> that's that's making just being outside and, and doing things um quite terrible who could have well seen the this reason coming? i bring it up too is like you know how we always talk about the winter in new york affects your health right it makes you depressed no one likes winter in new york i feel the same way about summer in new york but like the extreme polar summers where you have it like the last couple of days where it's been it's felt like 100 degrees every day like that doesn't make it doesn't make me depressed it just makes me feel like crap like yeah. i just don't want to go outside i just want to sit in front of the ac and like i'm still melting but you know <laughs> you feel like you're being punished for like for for trying to be social 
basically yeah <laughs> which which is equivalent to winter like it's the same concept so yeah uh basically long story short take me to maine take me to like canada just where it's hopefully for, colder. For, for, yeah yeah need your your summer house <laughs> you, know, my, you think i have a summer house you need you need it <laughs> i need one yeah but i don't have it yeah <laughs> that's uh, that's a ways away my friend but we'll get there we'll get there you want to talk about um what's going on in the rest of the world in terms of footballing things um there's basically the purpose of this podcast is to go through our mini preview of the european season we'll call it part one part one going over what we expect from from i guess a certain select group of teams in the premier league and la liga and then a little bit more about some of the players and managers as well um but there have been some developments, right? Transfer news and um, competition news with the women's Euros. Uh, most notably, England beating, um, gosh, Spain, Spain and France, yeah. defeating Denmark. Um, in, or no, excuse me, the Netherlands. Yeah. In what should have, could have seen France score like seven goals. But Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. Like the back-to-back days between France, France's game and then uh, uh, not so Sweden playing Belgium, very similar games. I think they both had like 30 something shots in each of their games, like respectively, and both racked up something like almost four XG, which, yeah. is, which is insane. Um, and, and both of them just won with very, very late goals, which, which is, yeah, yeah, that's, that is the beauty of tournament play. They still could have ended up losing those games that they completely dominated. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the England game was – that was just a fantastic game, period. Like, a fantastic game of soccer. Yep. Like, just in general. Like, like the Spain were so technically good and, and had control of so much of that game. And Your and, parallels between the yeah. men's team and, and the women's team were uh, once again on display. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Just dominating, like, almost every facet of play. And then – they just can't win a header <laughs> and, and, and then, literally uh, I can't remember which center back it was, but they, you know, they're just dropping off of Georgia Stanway for like 15, 20 yards, just dropping into their own box without putting any pressure on her. And then she just unleashes a, uh, yeah, just a, a rope, a, a rocket. A, yeah. Yeah. A, a, a beautiful shot. And then, yeah. Yeah. Very impressive with, with, with England's ability to just kind of, hold out and then just leverage the their their obvious uh huge talents that they have especially in attack so it'll be interesting that they play sweden next and sweden looked much better than england did in their quarterfinal so we'll we'll see i think sweden's the second second ranked uh women's team in the world so big big very test good of the game yeah there. yeah 100 so I guess those are kind of the big updates. If I even talked about transfers right now, we would be the rest of the episode and no one has time for that. So we're going to avoid transfer talk until, (laughs) until these like deals are actually completed before the beginning of the season. Um, But in the meantime, Ryan, I want to start with a couple of questions. I'll say two very important questions around basically the start of the seasons in Europe and really what we expect from some of these teams. The first question that I think that, you know, we sort of came up with is in the Premier League and La Liga, right? Who are the teams or maybe team that you think will surprise you the most? Um, I, I think there's a, there's a difference between a team that will surprise you and a team that I guess will make you excited to watch. I think those are two mm-hmm. very different questions and we'll get to the latter in a little bit, but let's talk about it. The team that you think is going to surprise you the most. And if you say Everton, I'll call that's cap. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no. Like, like they, they might be surprised being, being worse than I expect, (laughs) but, but um, yeah, no, you made a good point. Like surprising. It obviously could always have two different connotations there, but I think in this case, I'm going to look at it as surprising in a good way. Uh, And I think for me, when looking at teams that, that could fit that bill for, for this season, I really tried to focus on teams that 
played well in like the second half of last season and and especially compared to their first half of of the 2021-2022 season uh and the team that I'm most looking forward to and, and and also I think will surprise in one sense um is Newcastle and, and I think it, it is very fair to say that if they do well next season, we shouldn't be that surprised because of now the money that is <laughs> being pumped into the team. And, and, or at least I should say the financial backing, because when you look at what they've done this summer, they have not spent much money at all. Their big signing was, was Sven Botman, who I'll get to later, but they haven't gone out and just broken the bank. I think very, very interestingly, very smartly what, they went and were able to poach uh, the sporting director from Brighton. The name is escaping me right now, but that's a huge sighting in it of itself. We've talked a lot about how good Bright- Brighton has been in the last few years, especially like being able to find players that fit their system very well. And I think the way that Newcastle's gone about this summer has been really, really controlled and calm and, and not they haven't done the, you know, what we've seen PSG do in past years, you know, up until this summer, what we saw like Manchester city do in their first couple seasons, you know, there, there hasn't been the Rabinho signing yet here, right? Like just, just yeah, we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. There hasn't been, a, there, they haven't made that type of signing this summer. They've gone, they've stayed very, uh, very sensible. Well, the other thing to remember really quickly with Newcastle is that there is an element of financial fair play, even though they have such a large injection of cash that based on their, or excuse me, their revenue uh, as a team, they cannot even spend over a certain amount. So they do have an influx of cash, but those basically the, the positive effects of that influx is not really going to be seen for the, until next season or the, and the season after that, um, because for for this current summer, right, just based on what they're like, we talked about all the financials of Barcelona last year. Now I feel like I'm talking about it with Newcastle, but based on um, how it's recognized, right, they can't spend 300 million euros just out of nowhere uh, unless they sell most of their squad. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good caveat too. Like they, they couldn't they couldn't go crazy this summer, right? Um, but when you're just looking at going back to like the second half performance of last season, you know, it was a complete 180 from a team that looked really, really likely to be going down and and and, and uh, sitting in 19th. But by the end of the of uh, 2021, they went from that level to a team that was like solidly mid table for the for the second half or, or, or well ended solidly mid table i should say um from january 1st through the end of, of this season they played 19 games they had the fourth most points in the league during that time more than chelsea more than arsenal they were third best in terms of points per game only behind liverpool and city and then per understat in those in that first half of the season, their non-penalty expected goal difference was like around negative 16, which was second worst in the league. And second, second half of the season, 19 games, it was around negative 2.6, which put them 12th in the league. So granted, they might they overperformed in terms of like the points they actually end up getting, but going from like I said, I, I basically looking like a championship side for a full half of the season to a team that was, like I said, solidly mid-table. Um, huge, huge credit to Eddie Howe and, and the, the squad in general. But, um, yeah, it, it feels like they now have a team that, with that performance and um, some of the players they have now, like they are – a team that I think should expect to be in the top half. And I think they could make a real push for, for top eight. I think that's completely fair. Um, I think we were all pleasantly surprised at how well Newcastle performed um, after a, a certain someone uh, who no longer managed the team was uh, no longer <laughs> managing the team. But it, I think the one thing with Newcastle that I'd be very curious to to see now is 
is is too much change a possibility when it comes to player chemistry when it comes to actually developing a team like strictly on the field i i don't know if there's a limit and i think it's different for every team and every club but i think that is an important question just keep in the back of our heads like how much change management is potentially too much totally totally and and i think that i wonder how much that has played into their activity this summer as well um not making a lot of changes uh, a, a lot of like the second half of last season as well, Callum Wilson was out for a lot of it. He didn't come back until I think the last month or so of the season. So that's something they're going to get back. And it's going to be a huge <laughs> difference for them up top. Like even when Newcastle were doing poorly in the last couple of seasons, he was always kind of like the, the shining light that they had as at least for attackers. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, I think they've, I think they have gone about this incremental changes like in january they they brought in bruno gimmerich from leon and uh, along with the renaissance of, of joel and like going back to going to be a, a basically a box-to-box midfielder rather than the try like like target man hold striker that um steve bruce tried to play him as for two seasons gimmerich was a big part of what became like one of the strongest midfields in the second half of last season and was one of the best midfielders period in the second half of the Premier League season in his time, just from the, that second half of the season, since joining Newcastle in terms of Premier League midfielders per 90 stats, it's in the 95th percentile in terms of non-penalty expected goals and assists 96th percentile in, in, tackles and interceptions and then the 90th percentile in terms of dribbles completed so you're looking at like a really well-rounded player and a guy i'm very excited to see uh how much time he gets especially for brazil in the in the world cup i think he could be really really smart um player for them and then you add in like i said their their one big signing of the summer has been spen botman who was on that Lille team that won the league over psg two years ago um, obviously, they fell back last season after selling a lot of those players and and financially kind of going into ruins. Um, but been there, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you no, know, Bob is a player who I think they'll expect to be like a cornerstone of the team. Like he could be their Vincent Company, like like what Vincent Company was to Manchester City uh, in those first few years and obviously staying there as a captain and, and becoming a legend of the club. Um, but Botman, yeah, only 22 years old. And you look at his stats in terms of center backs in Europe's top five leagues, like per 90 stats, 94th percentile in terms of aerials one, always a very important thing in the Premier League. Uh, and for any center back in general, honestly, <laughs> but, but you're talking about in Liga. So this is, League on and then and then his Champions League stats as as well, got like it, combined okay. combining both of those, and so then he was also ninety fourth percentile in terms of successful pressures, which is uh, I think I've talked about it a couple times before. This stat where within the first five seconds of a player pressing the opponent, does their team win the ball back? And, and he's ninety fourth percentile in terms of that, and then seventy seventh percentile in, in key passes for and from the center back. So two players that I think are going to get a lot of attention this, this season. And I think they are going to be relied upon very heavily by, by Eddie Howe as well. So um, those are, those are those guys. Plus I think just a, a full preseason under Howe and, and the team playing in a more expansive way than they have in the past few years. I, I think they could surprise a lot of teams. And, and I think in a way where they may not necessarily consistently very good but surprising the way where I, th- I think they're gonna put up some very good results against or good performances at least against um the top six sides and and, and surprise in that way definitely yeah I, I i think the expectation for them would probably be maybe not expectation but the goal would be top half i think yeah. that's that's a pretty fair assessment based on how they perform towards the second half of the season Anything less would not be, I think, unsurprising, but I think it would be disappointing. 
I think yeah. is what we're what we're ultimately getting at. Totally agree. So I think that's that's it for the Premier League pick. It's a good answer. Now, yeah. now I turn this over to you. Who are you expecting to surprise people in uh, in La Liga next season? Yeah, um, my answer to this is actually a team we have not seen in La Liga um, in a few years. A team that I, like it. I personally really, really love. Um, they, well, they're not far from Barcelona. Maybe that's part of it. But I will just come out and say I'm very excited to see Girona back in La Liga. A team that barely even made it back up, finished sixth in the Segunda in, at the end of last season, went to the playoffs and ended, ended up going through and getting promoted via the playoffs in the last half of their match, um, essentially. And I think one of the most interesting things about Girona is, and I'm almost exclusively selecting this based on famed Uruguayan striker Christian Stuani a player that has bounced across Italy, bounced across Spain, but has constantly been uh, like a beacon of light for Girona the last several years, uh, both throughout their time in La Liga, their relegation, and now their promotion. And I'm very, very excited to see a, stri- a striker of his stature, albeit he is mid-30s now. He's certainly not the player who was 2017, 2018, when he scored, I believe, 15-plus goals in La Liga that season for Girona. He, just on his own last season, um, scored upwards of 24 goals uh, in the Segunda. So he himself had a fantastic game um, last season. Or that, excuse me, a fantastic season last year. But most importantly, I think he's very, very underrated still. Um, over the course of his career, he scored 200-plus goals. Uh, actually, no, 200 goals exactly. Let me stand corrected as uh, as you will grill me on anything stats related. But I think the reason I'm most excited for Girona to come back in to, um, into La Liga is because of Christian Suani. And I think I would be – I think that the team that will surprise will be them. I think they have a, a certain – there's a Spanish phrase for it that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But a certain group of players that – essentially feel like when they were going through the Segunda uh, promotion um, in the playoffs, like they had nothing to lose. Like they came in sixth. No one would necessarily be surprised if they did not get promoted. But at the very last minute, that's seemingly what seems to happen to Girona. That's I believe the way that they got relegated last year, excuse me, not last year, but a few years ago. And funny enough, the last three years in the Segunda in Spain, that team has been promoted each time through the playoffs. So there's something weird about that position. But anyway, long story <laughs> short, I, I'm very, very excited um, to watch Girona back in in, um, in La Liga. And I do think that they will surprise a lot of people. My best prediction for them is finishing mid-table. Um, I think they they certainly could. I would be very surprised if they did, hence the, the surprise part of all of this. But um, I would be pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at that. I like that, and and I like that even more now because I don't know if you've seen, but Tati Castellanos, Castellanos, the striker from New York City FC, mm-hmm. who's won the Golden Boot the last two seasons, has been the best player in MLS for two to three years now, and just is is I, I've, I'm lucky that I got to watch him play in person. Uh, it was last year when they played the Union here here um, in New York, and he's. He, he was supposed to leave this summer anyway. And, and interestingly enough, like NYC was having a hard time buying teams to match the price that they were looking for for him. I think it was like $15 million that they were hoping to get from him, which honestly I think was very reasonable. When you look at his performances in the league the last couple of seasons, but they didn't, they didn't find a team that could reach that. And Girona is owned by the city football group exactly and yeah. so i i think that they had a deal with him where it was like no matter what we're we will send you we will sell you to a team in europe um this summer and now what's happened is he's going on loan to to Girona and and basically like i i think we'll, we'll see how he does and and i i expect him to i expect him to do very well and 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 
very well in a sense where a team in either Spain or somewhere else in Europe will look at his performances next season and say, yeah, that guy, that guy fits in, in, in playing in a, in one of these top leagues in Europe or whether it's one of the top five leagues or, or another one, but he is like a European player. Like, like he, he's that good. I, and yeah. I really, and I really stand by that as, yeah. he, as someone who's gotten to watch him a fair amount. Yeah. And that's actually recent news that he's moving. Um, yeah. Played so, his last, last game with uh, NYCFC this, this last weekend. Yeah. So again, I think that adds another layer of excitement to this team that who knows it truly, who knows with football, I, I no one knows, but I would, that's my prediction long story short for a team that's going to surprise me the most. Well, I think that that moves us on to our next question, Elias, which is slightly less the positive. complete opposite way less <laughs> polar positive, opposite. I should say. <laughs> Yeah, stay, okay. Stay well, let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about it. Which team are you expecting will probably be the biggest disappointment um, for this upcoming season? Yeah, um, this is going to be a team that I think a lot of people towards the second half of last season thought to themselves, what happened to them, right? What happened to an incredible, basically first place position that they could have seen themselves in, in La Liga that dwindled towards the second half of the season. Rian, my prediction here, my, I guess my, my choice team is Sevilla. Now we're talking about a Sevilla team that have already seen one of their best center backs leave, right? For the Premier League. One of their other best center backs will very likely leave to either Chelsea or Barcelona in Kunde. And players like Jesus Navas, Ivan Rakitic, um, and I'm thinking now, who else? Oh, Papu Gomez. All are in their mid-30s. And all three of those players, when fit, are essentially starting players. And I say when fit because I think about how many injuries Sevilla had towards the second half of last season. Ocampos, Rafa Mir, etc. right? Players that almost forced in some ways players like Papu Gomez to start. Now, as amazing as those older players can be, truly, and, and I, I genuinely mean that, Jesus Navas, for example, being 36 is incredible and playing at such an elite level. That's not sustainable. And Montiel, who is, of course, the second choice right back, has shown a lot of vulnerabilities, um, both with Argentina and with Sevilla last season. Not to say that he's can't be a starter for Sevilla. I think that's certainly possible and probably the likely outcome for this upcoming season. But I think about that in the context of the broader team, right? How many positions like that are basically kind of open in the event that there is another injury or there is, you know, potential, you know, departure, right? Um, someone decides to retire. Like that's the area. And that's the position Opetegui is in. On paper, I think Sevilla have enough depth to still be a strong team but in reality i do not think that's the case given their injury history and also need i forget that this is the same lopetegui that did not know if he was going to stay in seville um through in sevilla basically passes this past season like i don't know if many people really remember this because it kind of flew under the rug but the sevilla board Monchi included, were a little skeptical about keeping Lopetegui around given how the second half of last season went. And now that things are back, they sort of agreed, okay, let's do this maybe potentially one last time. Sevilla are going into the season with a crap ton less confidence than they entered the the beginning of last season with, which was essentially a high on a high note. Um, So Sevilla, essentially, long story short, is the team that I kind of expect to disappoint me the most. I think this could be potentially the season that we see them drop back out of top four um but tbd yeah no, i mean the reasoning makes sense it's a lot of change a lot of change um i'm going back to what we were talking about with newcastle where what happens when there's a lot of a lot of change chemistry and um just you know, new players having to fit into a new league right um uh, 
they did sign a center back, uh, senior Mark Markow from from Galatasaray. So, so there's one center back that's coming. Uh, but it, it's if they lose Kunde, which I think we're both expecting him to go. The witch team right now is somewhere <laughs> is, is is something that if you try to follow it too much, your brain might turn into mush. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, but no, no, it's 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 a team that uh, through so much of the second half of last season, it just from being so that that point in the um, not this past season, but two seasons ago, where it was down to the last like month or month month two months, and it felt like they genuinely had a chance to kind of sneak their way into into the title when it was kind of like that four team race. Basically, between that point and and now, it's just it, it feels like that was their chance, pretty much. And and from that point to now, it's just they have not been able to find any level of consistency. Even when they were doing well last season, we talked about it. Their their underlying numbers were not were, no, were not they as were great. very poor. They were overperforming <laughs> spectacularly for four yeah, months. Exactly. So, I I I think I I will co-sign it. Like I, 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 I totally understand where you're coming from for, for the co-sign it. Well, I'm honored. This is uh, <laughs> that's big praise coming from you. I'll take it. I'll take it. But moving away from Sevilla and back into England, Brian, let's talk about the prep. Let's talk about the team that you feel will disappoint you the most over the course of the season. If you do say Everton, in this case, I support you in that. But in reality, who actually is the team that you feel may disappoint you? I this 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 is a this was a hard one. Uh and there's just so many teams out there the, have to break your heart. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple teams, but but this one hurts the most because um it's a team that I think very highly of or or had or thought very highly of in the last especially the last few seasons as because they've gotten so close to getting into the Champions League for the for what two three seasons on, on a on a on a run. It's Leicester, I mean, it, it last season, such a big drop off in terms of performances, in terms of consistency specifically, and and honestly injuries as well. I think is a just actually injuries in general just was still a big issue for them. Um, they had Wesley Fofana who missed what 41 games with after he fractured his fibula. Wilfred and Didi missed 17 games with a knee injury. Uh, James Justin, who ended up becoming a basically taking over the right back spot from Ricardo Pereira, who himself was an injury problem. Um, he missed a lot of last season as well. That would have given me hope that okay this season is going to be much better for them and and uh maybe it'll just kind of come back like revert back to the mean right but it concerns me that they haven't made a single signing yet this season um they finished eighth on 52 points four points behind west ham and seventh but their expected goal difference was their worst since 2017 um so that's pre-brendan rogers yeah, <laughs> they allowed the seventh most goals last season and the fourth worst expected goals allowed. Again, both worse since that 2017-18 season. And then they allowed the fourth most shots and second, fourth most shots first already, like the, talking about closer relegation form with that. But then when you look deeper at the shots that they allowed, the average distance of those shots was the second shortest of any team that was allowing shots last season so the quality of shots that they were giving up were also quite quite concerning right um and on top of all that they allowed the most set piece goals in the league so you're looking at a team that struggled defensively and really they only missed they're only missing the one center back uh, due to injuries at least and their center back depth is very concerning um they signed Yannick Vestergaard at the beginning of last season for almost 18 million euros. 
and he was just poor. He didn't he played 10 Premier League matches. I'm, I'm going to be honest. So so that's actually you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I forgot they signed him like legitimately. <laughs> yeah. And and that's not to be like cruel. Like I just legitimately forgot that he was a part of the squad because of how little he played and quite frankly, how poor him and a lot of the rest of the team were. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's very concerning. You throw on top of that, you know, Casper Schmeichel who's 34 had his most had disappointing season by his standards for sure. His worst post shot expected goals um performance since 2018 it's there there that all of those factors i think plus what i think is going to be a very competitive eighth to tenth place seventh to tenth place i should say honestly um in the league i'm just not sure if they're better right now than you know uh an aston villa um obviously like i said newcastle is going to be up in that space I, I don't think they're better than west ham i i i just don't i'm not i'm not sure that this is a top half team i i think the talent's there but i i think talent is there in in spots i think in their attack mostly and uh um, fofana and friends as i like to call yeah them. yeah like, you know that indeed he's fantastic player but the injury record the last couple seasons has not been great for him and that's got to be a concern and there really isn't a lot of depth in their in their midfield in general i mean obviously telemans is there as well but he's this is pretty probably this is almost definitely his last season at leicester right if he doesn't go in this summer then next summer for is sure. his contract up next summer uh, I don't he think has so, one right? year left just starting next when, oh, when so it, two years yeah, left from two today. years left right now so next summer is you know, their last chance to cash in on him so I, I, a lot of these factors coming together are really what is concerning me. And I think they could be quite, I think they could be disappointing from uh, just from the, the team that we knew they were two seasons ago, a team that was genuinely a Champions League level performing team. Um, I think that drop off was quite steep last season. And I think it could slide even more next season let me let me ask you a question then on Leicester because they they were at such a peak two three years ago if there was one change that you would have to make at the club what would it be would it be Brendan Rodgers would it be I mean it's go go for it it's it's uh it is a tough one because a lot of these players that have come in in the last couple seasons have not worked out for them and and, and I can only go off of things that are read and who, you can always take that stuff with, with a grain of salt, but it seems like Brendan Rodgers has a lot of say in, in the players that come in, in terms of identifying the players that come in. And if that's the case, then yeah, I think it's, I think that he's going to end up being the scapegoat no matter what. And, and then I, I think I had a lot of questions about some of the players that he some of the players that he was playing last season and, and playing and where they were playing as well. So, um, yeah, I think this is, I, I would not be surprised if he's gone by the end of this season. I think he might be very well. The first one of the first managers to if, get yeah, fired. If they come out of the block. If they come out of the block very poorly, like it's, yeah, it's, it's an issue. A hundred percent. Well, let's take a break from all the negative talk. How about that? We'll come back. <laughs> we'll talk about, players that we're actually excited to watch um especially like specifically new signings and maybe a little uh little action in terms of new managers which i'm personally very excited to talk about but we'll be right back yes <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen we are back um i actually i don't know why i didn't realize this i just realized you're wearing a chelsea shirt um while we we're recording <laughs> this like it just hit me i thought it was a blue shirt this entire time but um non sequitur rian let's talk about the next item up in our season preview, which is the single player signing by a team in both Premier League and La Liga that we are most excited to watch play out literally um, this upcoming season. We'll start in England. I'm very curious to hear your, your take, uh, knowing that, of course, some of these transfers are not potentially done. Uh, we're going off just transfers that have been completed because 
that. Yeah. <laughs> if if we go off like the potentials, then we're we're no better than we'd, we'd be here for, for for yeah for another hour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we could we could spend the whole thing on United uh, alone. So, <laughs> anyway, Rian, let's talk about um, the player that you most excited to watch in England. Who's that signing? So, for me, there's there's so many of these. We talked about it before. So many of these French midfielders that like they just pop them out as a factory of them, like great or, or high potential young uh, French midfielders, right? And this summer we had another one come to uh, to England. I mean, last summer, that, that one of those was uh, I think Bubakar Sumar, who, who went to Leicester, and it was kind of disappointing. Honestly, I expected a, a bit more from him, but obviously, the second season we'll see, but. The one that came in this summer, Bubakar Kamara, who signed for Aston Villa from Marseille, 22-year-old defensive midfielder who came on a free. Like, that's the, like, he, somehow Marseille let his contract run down and, um, and really, really smart business, I think, from Aston Villa to go and get him on a free, gives them another guy who, I mean, competition for Douglas Louise specifically, but um, Douglas Louise, I think, had a pretty disappointing season last season. And and so he's someone that I think will um, actually be starting for them. Someone that will allow John McGinn to just kind of push forward and, and make and make those runs into the box a lot more. And, and we know that he's got a great left foot on him, so he's got a great shot on him. So kind of just give him that cover. The guy is an excellent excellent passer especially under pressure and was someone who was like heavily relied upon um when Marseille was in possession last season it's 97 percentile in terms of touches and pass targets um we're looking at midfielders compared to other uh, midfielders in your top five leagues 97 percentile uh 96 percentile in terms of pass completion but in also like, importantly like 80th percentile in terms of long passes 98th percentile in terms of passes made under pressure so you're talking about a player who's very very accurate with his passes but also can do them under when he's getting pressed and then 89th percentile in terms of passes into the final third so that kind of progressing the ball to the to that last third also like very adept at it as well and on top of all of those to show that he's still a very well-rounded player offensively, 75th percentile in tackles and interceptions, and then 99th percentile in terms of successful pressures. So we, we know that Aston Villa are going to be playing a very high pressing game under Stephen Gerrard as, as, as you know, he kind of models some of his, gets some of his inspiration from um, Jurgen Klopp and, Liverpool and how Liverpool play. So just feels like a player that's going to fit well for what um i think aston villa want to be and and from what i've heard their expectations for this season they want to be top eight so this is a player that i think will help get them in the right direction i genuinely because it's it's been several weeks since this transfer was announced forgot that it happened but that is such a good answer. Like you probably saw my face when you were talking about it and you yeah. gave the name. I was like, oh my God, I literally completely forgot. And I more importantly forgot he came on a free. That is, I think, the most incredible part about this, that he came on a free from Marseille and arguably one of the top five young, best young players in France. And maybe yeah. potentially in Europe. I wouldn't go maybe as far as Europe, but potentially. Um just and, the defensive midfielders, you might say, just that specific position, maybe. Def, I, I think that's completely fair. I think the the one thing about the saying that sticks out to me is that I feel like it addresses a need for Aston Villa very, very badly. Like that is the key in all this. It is, in my opinion, a very smart signing. Whereas I'm not saying Aston Villa were exposed, really struggled in this specific position for for parts of last season, um, but in reality, they've got everything from the defensive midfield line forward covered in terms mm-hmm. of talent, in terms of um, players and position. I think that defensive midfield position and I think um, an additional 
fullback position is really what they need Sasha needed to look at. This is a fantastic signing for him, for the club. And if their aspirations really are top eight, yeah, this is, this is taking them one step towards that. Um, it feels like weirdly reminiscent to <clears throat> when Camavinga was signed for Real mm. Madrid, when of course, different fee, different structure. He did not come on a free, but same level of excitement in some ways that, okay, even, even though Kamavinga may not get all the playing time in the world now, like this is definitely a pl- player we want to see. By the end of the season, he was subbing in almost every game uh, oh. for one of the midfield three. Now for, for Kamara specifically, I feel like he could very well start most games yeah. for Villa. So I think yeah. that even there, there's like, just there's so much potential yeah really excited really really excited to see him uh see how he adapts to the league as well definitely all right ellie so to flip the switch on you same thing most excited player to watch um this season upcoming season in la liga rian i'm curious if you've um heard about this polish guy that uh, came from this German club. Don't know if you've uh, you've at all heard about this, but apparently he scored like 50 goals last season in Europe, just kind of crazy. Um, yeah, there's no, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to pretend like every other signing in La Liga is going to trump this. This is one of the most important signings La Liga has made in the last three years. Hands down, you are talking about a player in Lewandowski. Um, wow, that came out weird. Lewandowski, thank you. Um, that is arguably, if not definitely, the best striker in the world. Even at his age, he is still capable of scoring between 30 and 50 goals every single season. He is the most dominant forward potentially on the planet, and he just moved to Spain. And he just moved to a team that honestly needs the goals, like has has the talent in the midfield to to really progress the ball and advance it. But Rob Lewandowski, I can't for some reason say his last name. Like there's something weird with my mouth right now. Um, I'm just the, excited. The, the guess, W to but, the S to the K yeah. is, is a tough one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. I'll let that slide. But anyway, like my point being, I'm not even going to go through and pretend that like there is like this magic wand that signing Lewandowski is going to like save Barcelona in some ways, but more so like this is just a major, major signing for Spain. Because if you think about who has been a marquee signing for the entirety of La Liga over the last three years, I can't really think of like many big names like unless unless you can like frankie de young coming was probably like the biggest one that i can think no, of the last I, couple I agree. of years no i agree like this is a this is the this summer would have been the the mbappe summer for for that right he right would have, right it would have been him um but yeah i can't think of anyone else outside of Lewandowski over the last like you said three or four years that is uh, that is this big, right? Like, yes, there are still important players that You're are talking about a guy like, who probably should have won Ballon d'Or like two years ago. No comment. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think huge, huge signing. Like a guy that I think I, I've said it when when we did when we were doing our like uh, uh, reviews of like the classic games during, yeah. during COVID. Um, I, I, play, I laid out the case that he's the best striker of his generation. Um, I think it's really only between him and Luis Suarez, really. But, but that's neither here nor there. Right well, now. no, no, I actually, I actually think yeah. it is. I think it, and yeah. the reason I want to bring that up is because I think there's a very specific reason why he chose to come to Barcelona over potentially Chelsea, for example, or other clubs. It's, I feel like right now to compete with Kareem Benzema, like on a very, very direct level, in that everyone saw how well. Benzema has performed the last two seasons and I think he probably feels like there's maybe a bit of a chip on his shoulder that people people believe that he cannot for some reason replicate if not basically outperform um, that same level of performance from Kareem Benzema I, I think it's a big part of this 
and I, I could not be more excited to watch him in it. Like, it, okay, I'm going to be honest. It has not settled it that he, <laughs> he's going to play for Barcelona this season. Like, it just, it, it really has not. But once it does, yeah, I'm going to be pretty freaking excited. Yeah, and, and I think, like you said, he fits the need. Like, I think Barcelona just need a few, between him and, and, Rafi, and Rafinha coming, like finishers. Like yeah. Guys, uh, that that was always a thing that I felt like in a lot of the games where Barcelona weren't able to win, um, it was kind of the finishing that let them down, right? So, I, I mean, along with the center backs, but, but yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that like next week. Yeah, not not for now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, really excited to see him. I'm really excited to see him play for Barcelona. I'm excited to see him in in La Liga as well. I think this is probably a better fit for him too, just because I think the Bayern team was so fluid, and you saw him kind of like drifting out to wide areas a lot, and and part of you part of you wonders whether he liked doing that so much. Um, yeah, as far as the team just kind of needs a a poacher, like someone who's just going to be there to finish the chances. Uh, interesting to see what the dynamic will be in terms of Obama Yang as well. Um, yeah. Whether he, whether he just becomes the backup or, or if Xavi also tries to play him at left wing as, as <laughs> Mikel Arteta. <laughs> no, I can confidently point, tell but... you that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Cause quite honestly, I think this leaves a Yang on the bench. Right. Mm-hmm. And a Yang was always a short-term solution. I think that's always been very clear. And with the return of Ansu Fati, I I really do think it's going to be some combination of Fatih Lewandowski and Le- Lewandowski. Oh my God, I can't get it right. <laughs> and either Rafinha slash Dembele. Um, yeah. So where this leaves Aubameyang, Ferran Torres, um, Memphis Depay on the bench to answer your question. Yeah. Rian, I want to talk about the Prem too, though. Uh, I want to talk about the player. Oh no, we, we did that. Sorry. I want to talk about the manager. Excuse <laughs> oh, me. Um, I want to talk about the manager that you're most excited to watch um, on the sidelines this season, the Premier League. I have a feeling I know the answer to this question, but I'm not going to guess. So of the new managers in the Prem, who are you most excited to watch for a full season? Yeah, you, you, I think you've got a good idea. Um, I'm, he's coming with a lot of expectations to a club that that sorely sorely needs uh just oh just rehab a whole rehabilitation um Uh, on many levels on many levels on every level and uh, he unfortunately will only be able to do it from one level but it's going to be eric ten hog coming in as a manchester united coach um IX coach for five years from 2017 to 2022, won three league titles, did two domestic doubles. Uh, obviously, they made that huge run to the Champions League semifinal in 2019, where they knocked Should out have Juventus. probably made it to the final. <laughs> oh, fully, 100%. <laughs> knocked out Juventus, knocked yeah. out Real Madrid. Obviously, that that unbelievable 4 1 win at the Bernabeu, like one of the best performances you'll ever see at at away to Real Madrid, um, especially in the Champions League. Knocked out by Spurs in that semifinal, uh, a crazy semifinal where Spurs came back and and, um, really broke their hearts. But I'm very, very interested to see how Ten Hag changes this team. Like They've had so little coaching in the last four years, pretty much. Him coming in, and and I'm sure the players are already noticing. <laughs> it's like just, oh, oh, we have actual plan now. Oh, we we are actually we're not just uh, rolling the ball out and running out, running around out there. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> it'll be, it, it's it's it'll be really interesting to see how how much he's able to mold this team in the first season with still a lot of a good amount of players that they need to move on, and but are hard to move on. Um, they they've they're taking, I think, the right steps, at least in terms of towards playing the way that he's going to want them to play. They've, they made three signings so far, all players that Ten Hag would have been very familiar of. Um, Tyrell Malasia, 22-year-old left back, signed from, from Feyenoord. Uh, Lissandro Martinez, 24-year-old center, Ar- Argentinian center back, yep. signed from, from Ajax. Uh, 
obviously there's been a lot of stuff I think about his height very unsure how much that's gonna um actually be an issue but that's I won't talk about that very much this week potentially more to come on that next week but 99th percentile in terms of progressive passes and 99th percentile in tackles for center backs amongst Champions League, amongst Champions League center backs last season. So these, these are just stats from in the Champions League. Don't have anything on, on the Eredivisie. But just looking at those two, like a player is going to be really, really uh, important to Man United's, you know, attacking play and like play in possession of building out from the back. As, as I'm sure Ten Hag is stressing as one of his main principles. And then you throw in the kind of like uh, heartfelt signing here of a, of a guy who's still very good at soccer, Christian Eriksen. Like, free signing. He had his six months at, um, at Brentford where he was still an elite creator. 90, 96 percentile in terms of expected assists and 98th percentile in shot creating actions per 90 among Premier League midfielders last season. So this is a guy who's going to come in and it's still really, really good. I think we're, I think that's something that we kind of forgot about. Obviously Brentford meant that he wasn't being highlighted a lot, uh, nearly as much as if he was, as he will be this season. But that guy was still really, really, really good at creation, at, at uh, playmaking. So that's players I think um, will be really crucial to how Ten Hag will want. Manchester United to play and I'm just really really excited to see excited to see just just a Ten Hag team because uh, you know outside of the Champions League we really haven't gotten to watch that and I love that I excited so much in 2019 so um excited to see his style of play come to the Premier League yeah I think for me I'm by the way that was my guess if that was clear but um I think the thing that I am most excited about is to see a Manchester United manager who has control over the team in like the fullest sense of the word maybe not the fullest sense of the word but more so than previous managers um because I think that was one of the stipulations that he made very clear before actually taking the the job uh, seeing how things went for Ole, Louis van Gaal, Mourinho before him. I think that's a, a big difference here. And you're seeing that quite literally on like through departures and arrivals right now. I think a big part of why he's been going after Frankie de Jong is actually less so to do with Barcelona's financial situation, more so to do with the fact that if you had, or United had a central defensive midfielder like Frankie de Jong to play outlet passes to some combination of Marcus Rashford, Ronaldo, TBD, um, and <laughs> what seems to be a renewed Martial post-Sevilla stint, I-, I think that's a wonderful combination. Um, and I think that's probably exactly what he is aiming for uh, compared to, again, no shade to Fred but or McTominay, but different levels. So I'm very excited to see what United have this season. I don't have high hopes. Like, I don't have top four um like penciled in right now for them but i think that would be success for them this season yeah um yeah i'm i'm also hesitant of of quite seeing top 4 yet but i'm expecting to see a markedly improved um overall like team performance this season compared to so many games last season where it just looked like they couldn't either had no cohesive plan of going into games or they just couldn't be bothered for a, a lot of like the last month or so of the season honestly so yeah definitely <laughs> that, that <laughs> the last two months were dire yeah. but um that's what made it entertaining for a new trip, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right Ellis. well to wrap it up here la liga who's coming in um either if you had a manager that wasn't new though this would also Work that you're just excited to watch, but who's your pick? Who, who are you most excited? Whose team has been? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not going to try to overcomplicate <laughs> this phrase. Which manager are you most excited to watch? There you go. Um, I was between two picks, but I think I have my answer, and I'll share what my second option was in a second. Ran, are you familiar with the phrase uh, "sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit"? Is that is that? Oh yes, at all? I love this. I'm. I'm I'm loving where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So for some reason, 
as as some of you who may know, Valencia several months ago decided, well, I think this is mainly a Peter Lim thing, uh, decided that, nope, we don't need our current manager. We don't need someone who is adored by the players and loved by the fans. We don't need, um, I guess it was Marcelino earlier this season. That's just not who we need anymore. In fact, we don't need him so much that we decided to poach Gattuso from Napoli and bring him to this team. Now, why anyone would do that? I guess they didn't push him from Napoli, but you know what I mean? He took a year off. But why that was the decision they wanted to go with, I will not understand. I think the biggest reason that I understand it as is because really Valencia didn't know what players would stay around because of their financial situation and whether he would stay around. So it was kind of a chicken egg situation and he decided to go first and now they're left with basically no manager and they bring in Gattuso. I am very concerned, quite frankly, for Valencia this season. Um, maybe they're in some ways the teams that the team that will surprise me um, or disappoint me the most. Um, that that very well could be it instead of Sevilla. But Gattuso coming to Valencia is, in my opinion, a ticking time bomb. It is a combination of a player that by the time he left Napoli, I feel like after it was like eighty plus games, basically, I mean, didn't leave on great terms, right? Let, let, let's just leave it at that. I think overstayed his welcome is probably a good good phrase to use here. Valencia fans will not be giving Gutuso a lot of time because it's not like this team has changed dramatically and they did have a pretty good manager before him. So the expectations are high. And in reality, Valencia are still in a position where they will have to likely let go of one of Jose Gaia um Hugo Guillamon or probably potentially uh Gonzalo Gerish probably one of those three leave this summer um so the team might get worse the manager changed and I don't think personally improved and quite honestly the fans are not going to give Gattuso a lot of time so taking time bomb is there now why am I excited to watch this? Oh, because it's Gattuso. Because his press conferences are going to be hysterical. The things that he says to this team and the reports that we're probably going to see come out are just going to be hilarious. That's what I'm most excited for. But almost nothing from a purely a footballing standpoint. Uh, his 4-2-3-1 is not really going to change. Uh, so, yeah, that's really my answer. My second backup answer was the return of Ernesto Valverde to Bilbao. But... This is the more fun one, so I'm going with that. Oh man, I I'm. It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be it's <laughs> like whether they do well or even if they do well, like it's gonna be just a lot uh, in terms of uh, just his aura around the <laughs> team, right? Um, it's 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 concerning me a little bit for our for our guy Yunus Musa just just because it's a chaotic situation. Um, I'm happy to see that in the preseason games, at least, it looks like he's has been played in center midfield and not shunted out to right wing and playing right mid or whatever uh, uh, it was Bordelas that had him playing. And and so, I think that's um, basically like where Bordelas did I did I say Marcelino or someone earlier? I meant Bordelas. Um, that's what he kind of did towards the end of the season, right? And play yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, so, so that'll be great to see, but I, I love the pick. Um, it, it's just so sad. Valencia is such a team that has so much great history and a great history of being like a Champions League side as well. It, it's really disappointing to see what's happened in the last, in the last years, especially under Pierre Lim. Obviously we know there's a lot of, um, a lot of stuff happening above the team. That's not, can't really controlled by the players uh and and that's kind of what makes it the most disappointing is that it's it's not an easily fixable situation yep but no not at all either way like i said gattuso is gonna be he, he did 
he didn't do a bad job. I don't think he did a poor job. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like you said, it just clash of personalities. We know that Napoli's owner, the De, De Tees, is a, not an easy guy to get along with. I think I feel like every manager that has left in the last five years, he didn't leave like amicably. Does um, I'm just thinking back to to Sari's departure. So. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see Gattuso get another chance. Um, obviously, we know he was close to going to Spurs last season. And then um, obviously things like a lot of stuff came out in terms of some quotes that he had in like a decade or so ago that I think did not go down well with, with Tottenham fans. And that I think was a big reason why they didn't they didn't end up actually signing him. But it, it'll be interesting to see his his uh, his team this season. I, I'm I'm excited to at least, worst case, get to watch Eunice Musa play in his preferred position. And hopefully he gets to progress enough to the point where maybe maybe he's also sacrificed for financial reasons next year or something. <laughs> like, in like a positive way? A positive sacrifice. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like sold off with no club as a, as a final destination kind of sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Well... I'm very excited for that. Oh, just thinking about literally like uh basically all the not all the but Valencia, Sevilla, like Vien- Valencia, um Hitafe, like I think some of those fixtures are gonna be fantastic. So anyway, Rian, I think that concludes this week's mini preview of uh of the season coming up. Part one, of course, we'll do another one next weekend when Rian is back from his uh his wedding that he went shopping for. And when I am probably preparing for my trip to to the European continent, first international trip in three years. So I'm very excited. Yeah. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week. Normal service is almost back. Almost. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.